Three weeks ago, we began a brand new series called Difference Maker. And in here, if you're new and haven't been here for the last few weeks, here's the, the series Difference Maker, that we believe that God has called all of us to be difference makers, that he has given us his salvation, he's given us his presence, he's given us his light, and we are supposed to, wherever we go, be a difference maker and let that show forth. And we've had a good time looking at several people throughout scriptures that are definitely difference makers in this series. But we've also talked about people in our present day world that are difference makers. We talked about those that go to our church and between their service and their hearts and their ministry, they have been difference makers to those within this body of Christ. We talked about people outside our church. And I began thinking this week, you know, there are difference makers in our world. It may not be spiritual difference makers, but, but they have taken this idea of being a difference maker and where they've been planted and they've made a difference. And in fact, let me just go ahead and give you the definition of difference maker. If you haven't memorized it yet and it's in your outline, you can write this down. A difference maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. Let me say that again in case you're filling in the blanks. A difference maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. And so as I began thinking about people throughout history, throughout our time, throughout our society that is difference makers, I thought about in the arena of technology. You know who I would say is one of the greatest difference makers in technology? It's Steve Jobs. Without Steve Jobs, I wouldn't know what time it is. Without Steve Jobs, I wouldn't be able to work the computer as easy as I do today. And without Steve Jobs, I would have nothing to do and no Angry Birds to play on my phone while I'm standing in line at the grocery store. So he has been a great difference maker in our society. Think about it in the arena of technology. Thomas Alvin Edison. Without Thomas Alvin Edison's intentional impact on the lives of not just those around him, but for hundreds of years later, or for many years later, we wouldn't have lights where we are right now. We'd be here in candlelight. So I would say Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison is the difference maker. And then I thought about with Super Bowl coming next week, who is the difference maker in football? You could say Patrick Mahomes or Taylor Swift. I'm not sure which I would choose right now, but one of those two are making a difference in the, uh, in the NFL. Um, but on a more serious note, um, you know, February 1st began Black History Month, and it's an opportunity in our country to think back to those black individuals that have made an impact in our lives. I think we'd be amiss if we didn't say Martin Luther King Jr., was a huge difference maker, not just for the civil rights of, of those of, of black individuals, but I think of the number of people in my life, black individuals, that have made a huge difference in my life, and I'm blessed by that. But not just Martin Luther King Jr. We have one right here in our midst. You may not know this, but Chuck Smith was awarded yesterday and through the organization Blacks in Colorado Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And his, his wife, Rosalind, she showed me the pictures. And what a huge, huge just testimony to his life. He was the first black um, police chief in the city of Denver. And so he's not here, but I think that's worth saying. He's a difference maker. Um, and last but not least, I thought in the arena of politics. And I thought some more. <laughs> Let's just keep going. Okay, so there's lots of difference makers out there, right? Um, but definitely within Scripture. But here's what we said. Regardless of what arena you find yourself in, whether it's secular or spiritual, um, spiritual, that we are all difference makers. And there's three characteristics that every difference maker has. And to show you how smart you've become over these last few weeks, what is the first characteristic of a difference maker? 
Okay, not only are you more spiritual than nine o'clock, you're a lot smarter than the nine o'clock too. So give yourself a hand for that. Yeah, where? If we're not aware, we can't see what God's doing around us to, to, to be able to do anything and make a difference. So what's the second characteristic? Adjust. Yeah, we become aware of an opportunity and then we adjust our schedule. We adjust our routine. We adjust whatever's going on so we can then do the third characteristic, which is act. We act. We, we'd have actions to move towards it. So every difference maker... Regardless of what generation you live in, whether it's secular or spiritual, whether it's here now or as many years ago, those three characteristics, aware, adjust, and act. And I want to take you in the last sermon within this series to a story in the New Testament of a difference maker. It's not only one difference maker, but he made such a difference in the life of another that that individual became a difference maker. Now, I have to kind of warn you, this particular story, if this was your first time to be at church, if you had never really cracked open the Bible, if you had never thought through Christianity and who Jesus is, you might read this story and you might think, whoa, I never anticipated a story like that in the Bible. Because this particular story, to me, has a combination of different movies and TV shows coming together. It is a combination of The Exorcist, Naked and Afraid, and the chosen all coming together. And as we read it, you will see why I say that. So Luke chapter 8, and starting in verse 26, and here's today's story of the difference maker. (coughs) So they arrived in the region of Gerasenes. Now, when they say they, they're talking about Jesus and his disciples. If you had read a few verses before this, you would have discovered Jesus and his disciples had just had just floated, had just crossed the lake. And on the night they crossed the lake, it was the night of the big storm. Do you remember in Sunday school, maybe as a small child, the big storm arose and all the disciples got all nervous. They woke Jesus up. Jesus, we're going to die. And can you rescue us? That's what had just transpired. So as they finally got across the lake, as the lake had calmed, they arrived in this region. And it says across the lake from Galilee. Then in verse 7, 27, as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked and living in the tombs outside the town. So can you imagine this type of welcoming party? I mean, you've just had an eventful night. You've just had an anxious night. You have dealt with all the stress of maybe thinking you're going to die, but you've also dealt and encountered Jesus calming the storm and having this amazing spiritual moment. And as soon as Jesus and his disciples get off the boat, this crazy man, this homeless man, this naked man, this demon-possessed man encounter them. And so you might just want to think if you're the disciples going, guys, can we at least get a foot out of the boat before we deal with this? But look what happens in the next verse. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked, meaning the man, the demon-possessed man, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply just broke them, and he rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. So Jesus and his disciples are getting out of this boat, and the Bible says this, that the man, the demon-possessed man, initiated the confrontation. 
But as he initiated the conversation, Jesus did not sit back to see how things were taking place. He was aware of what was taking place, and he initiated because he adjusted and acted. He initiated while the man had a conversational initiation. Jesus had a spiritual initiation. That Jesus was aware that this man was possessed by demons. And the Bible lets us know that Jesus begins to cast those demons out of him. And at that moment is when the confrontation began to take place. Because as Jesus is beginning to confront the demons, to cast them out of them, the demons through the man were speaking, leave us alone. Don't bother us. Why are you doing this like this? Why don't you just go away and leave us all alone? And so you can sense the tension going on. You can sense the confrontation taking place. And at that point in verse 30, this is what Scripture says. And Jesus demanded. Notice it doesn't say, and Jesus nicely asked. It doesn't say that Jesus requested, hoping that they would respond in the correct way. At this moment, Jesus takes on the authority as a son of God. And he demands. And he said, what is your name? Legion. He replied, and he, because he was filled with many demons. Scripture doesn't know, let us know exactly how many demons possessed this man, but the name Legion might give us a hint. You see, back in the days of Jesus when this was going on and the Roman army ruled basically the whole entire area, a legion was consisted of 6,000 soldiers. And so as this man who is now speaking and the demons are speaking through him said, our name is Legion. It's a singular name, but a singular name that represented 6,000. Again, we don't know if he's actually possessed by 6,000 demons, but it does let us know that there was major spiritual warfare taking place of him, that he was possessed by a number of these demonic forces. And then in verse 31, the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. If you take that word bottomless pit and you go back to the Greek and you chase it other times in the New Testament, that same verb or the same word or phrase is used, it's referring to the abyss that God sent Satan and all of the angels to when he kicked them out of heaven. It is kind of the ending place for all evil forces when the world comes to an end. And so it's interesting. Here these demons are possessing this man. They're going, don't bother us, leave us alone, but whatever you do, Jesus, don't send us to that place. And then look in verse 32. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. And so Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake, and they drowned. And so here's Jesus having this confrontation with this man, this demon-possessed man that we know is full of these, these myriad of demons. And they're begging, us going, begging him, going, please don't send us to the abyss. Do anything to us. Just don't do that to us. And they all looked, and there's a herd of pigs. Now, the gospel of Mark also explains this same story, but Mark says it a little bit different. He doesn't just say a herd of pigs. He said there were 2,000 pigs nearby. So we're not talking about just some wild little just boars that are wandering by. This was a farmer's occupation. This was a farmer's um, entrepreneurship walking by, 2,000 pigs. And the demons are like, do anything, Jesus. How about those pigs over there? Just let us go live in those pigs instead of this man. Jesus gave permission. And so at that moment, Jesus released. He, he, he took the demons out of the man and he put in the pigs. 
And the moment the demons of Scripture says went into this herd of 2,000 pigs, there was a cliff, a very steep high cliff over there, and the pigs just began to run one by one by one right off the cliff into their death. And then in verse 34, when the herdsmen saw it, so can you imagine being one of the herdsmen at this point? You're looking at this miracle. There was no doubt that this herd, these herdsmen had known of and maybe even knew this particular man that was possessed by the demons. You've got to believe running through the town at times, naked, screaming, doing crazy things, and they had to chain him up trying to protect himself and others from him. You have to believe that the people knew, these herdsmen knew who he was. And they sat there and they watched his possessed body of demons all of a sudden be released of this demonic oppression. But at the same breath... They looked and saw those same demons go into their herd of pigs. And it says, as the, uh, verse 35, people rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. I scratched my head and going, what are you afraid of? Here was a man that you were afraid of in his previous situation in life. And now he's sitting fully clothed, maybe for the first time in years, sitting completely sane, relaxed at the feet of Jesus. Surely they're not afraid of him. I mean, this is when you want to go high five him going, man, I knew you had it in you. This is a whole lot better life. They can't be afraid of the pigs that are demon possessed because they've already jumped off the cliff to their death. So the question is, what are they afraid of? And we're going to read in just a second. You know who or what they're afraid of? The Jesus that created all this. Not created it, but that healed the man of all of this. And so the tension is growing. The tension is no longer between the man and Jesus. The tension has now grown between the herdsmen and the town that has come out in Jesus but rather than embracing Jesus as the healer, not just physically of a man possessed by demons, but spiritually of the man who's possessed by demons. Because Luke will describe the situation as he writes, and Jesus healed the man. Remember, Luke was a doctor by profession. When he uses that term healed, he is not just referring to the physical body, he is referring to the spiritual soul as well. And so the herdsmen saw it firsthand. The townspeople came out and witnessed it firsthand that Jesus had healed this man. Yet, they were afraid. What are they afraid of? Those who had been seen had what happened in verse 36. Those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and he left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. And then in verse 38, the man who had been freed from the demons begged Jesus to go with him. But Jesus sent him home. No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. And so he went through all the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. And you may be sitting in your seat going, and I got out of bed today, shoveled my driveway so I could come to church so you could tell me about Jesus, a bunch of pigs, and a demon-possessed man. What does that have to do with us today? 
I mean, I understand how it relates to the movies. Naked and Afraid, The Exorcist, and The Chosen. I can see how those are coming together. But what in the world does any of this have to do with me if I'm trying to live my life as a difference maker? Let me give you five facts from the scripture, but five facts in your life of how this particular story relates to you as a difference maker. And the first fact is this. First thing you're going to write down in your notes. Difference makers will find themselves in undesirable situations. Let me say it again for those filling in the blanks. Difference makers will find themselves in undesirable situations. Let's go back to the story. Jesus crosses the boat. The one thing that you might not have picked up in the actual, actual scripture, but we can learn historically, when he was on the original side of the lake before they crossed it, that was more of a Jewish region. And so Jesus would have been a very familiar territory, might have been people he knew, but at least his faith would not have been as much conflict with, in conflict with people. But when he crossed the Sea of Galilee and he came to the other side of the lake, this was a very non-Jewish region. This was full of Gentiles. And as a good Jewish person, to go mixing with the Gentile people like that would have made him unclean. On top of that, what were the animals right next to him? Pigs. Pigs were non-touchables when it came to the Jewish world. So he's in an area that's not, not accepted among the Jewish people. He's dealing with the pigs. There's a demon-possessed man there. It was just extremely undesirable. But when you read this passage, you don't get the idea that Jesus and them just got in the boat and said, wherever the wind takes us, we shall go. You sensed in the, the plan of Jesus, it was to go from this side to the undesirable side. Listen to me real close. If you choose and commit to being a difference maker, especially when it comes to being a spiritual difference maker, you will find yourself in undesirable situations. And if you're not finding yourself in undesirable situations, you're traveling in the wrong direction. Because why does light need to go to light to be a light? That as a difference maker, God has taken our light and he wants to share it in the dark places. In the first service these last few weeks, we've had these three gentlemen, Chris and Charlie and David, begin visiting. And they're just, they're new to the faith. They're new to church. And so last Thursday night, I went to dinner with them. And um, we wanted some place with a lot of energy. You know, this first time we're going out to eat, you're going out to be the pastor. We're going to have a great conversation. I just want to hear the spiritual story where God has got them. So I said, let's pick some place with energy. Let's pick some place with just like high level, like, yeah, everybody's there. So we went to Black Eyed Pea down the street on Broadway. Now... We went at 7 o'clock, and I realized everybody's there at 4.30 eating dinner, black-eyed peas. So not much people were there at 7 o'clock. But I, I, at some point, I want to bring these three guys to this service just so you can meet them. Man, to hear their story. Is it a complete story? Absolutely not, but neither is mine. But to hear that Jesus has come into their life and not just changed their, hey, let's go to church this week, then we'll go again next week. He has changed their lives. And as we sat around talking to the guys, we're like, hey, we want to get baptized because our, our faith is new and we're following Jesus. And one of the guys, David, said, I'd like to get baptized. Can I just do a private personal, you know, personal kind of baptism ceremony? And the other one, Charlie, said, no, no, no. He said, no, we're not doing that. We got to have it in front of everybody because I want to invite my mom. I want to invite my friends. I'm inviting everybody to come. Now, again, when you know their story, a lot of the invitations are going out to people who don't know Jesus. 
And David, I'm sorry, Charlie was saying, I want to place myself in maybe an undesirable situation because people may not even believe what I'm believing now, but I want to invite them into my life so I can be a light into their life. Now, that's a baptism story, but it's a story for every single one of us that as followers of Jesus, we need to be in undesirable places or we may not be hanging out in the right places. Let me give you the second one. The second fact, difference makers are more effective in the community than they are in the church. Let me say it again. Let that one sink in for a second. Difference makers are more effective in the community than they are in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Within the church, we're difference makers. I mentioned Debbie um, Donay last week, and she's an amazing difference maker with our kids. Many of you serve in ways within the church that you're difference makers. But if all of our, us as difference makers just hang out in a holy huddle and we try to make all the differences here, we're not going to be near as effective. Think about it for a second. The demonic man, he would have never been allowed into a church then. In fact, they chained him up, the scripture says, to try to keep him away from everybody. If he had never been allowed into the church, how would somebody ever approach him to know him the way Jesus did? I pray this, I pray that as every day moves, goes on and we take and create a culture of inviting that we will be a place that everybody, no matter who they are, can know who Jesus is here. But even as we strive towards that, if the only difference making we do is when someone steps in those doors, we will miss the majority of the world that needs to know who Jesus is. And so you are in a place that God has designed you to be a more effective difference maker in your community than you are in this church. Whether it's at your workplace or social settings you're in, if you go to school, it's in school, no matter where it is, that's where the light needs to be taken. And so in the community, you're much more effective as a difference maker as opposed to simply only here in the church. Let me give you number three. The third fact, difference makers will face misunderstanding and rejection. Just write it down. Like, oh, I want to be a difference maker, but I don't, I don't really want to, like, I definitely don't want to be rejected. And I'd hate for somebody to misunderstand me. Then you won't be a difference maker. It will happen. Look at the story of Jesus. How did the people respond to him? He cast a demon out of a man. They made him, Jesus made him physically well, but he made him spiritually well. He saved his life and how the people respond. Here's what scripture says. They were afraid of Jesus. They begged him to go away. They asked them, asked Jesus, leave us alone, Jesus. And lastly, a great wave of fear swept over them. Do you think Jesus was misunderstood in this moment? Absolutely. Did he come to bring chaos? No. Did he come to bring destruction? No. He came to bring peace. He came to bring the love of his father, and he was misunderstood. And they said, could you please leave us and go away? It's really interesting when I study for sermons, I've got my commentaries and very reliable sources to go to and, and study and understand the passages better. But sometimes I choose this great theological resource called Google. And this particular time, this past week, I Googled pigs, demon, um, going off the cliff. I got so many resources of people writing in there. Jesus wasn't very smart. Jesus wasn't very kind. Jesus did a very non, just non-economic response. 
Because here's what the response was. Maybe Jesus missed it this time because when he cast the demons out, he put them in the pigs. 2,000 pigs went off the cliff. And how many hungry families were there left because their economic source of, of just money was taken away? And Jesus was being just dogged and dogged and ridiculed and misunderstood and just, just criticized. You're going to, well, Keith, stop using Google and stop going to these non-Christian resources to get your information. Just so you'll know, they weren't non-Christian resources. I Googled, but I was looking for pastors and theologians and Sunday school teachers and what they had to say. And even the Christian community misunderstood Jesus. Now, just for a note, if we want to have a little theological discourse here, when I read the scripture, Jesus never sent the demons to the pigs. It says there were some pigs available, and the demon said, could you send us there? And the Bible just says, and Jesus released the demons. So he gets even accused of something that he may not have specifically sent them there. But guess what? The blame's got to go somewhere, and they blame Jesus. They misunderstood him. They judged him. They criticized him. Doesn't it make sense if the Savior of the world is misjudged and criticized and we're followers of the Savior, don't you think it may put us in line of sometimes being misunderstood? But yet many times we can be so passive of confrontation, not that we go looking for a fight, but it feels like society has reached the point that we just cower down and not shine the light because we don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to blind you with the light of Jesus coming out of my life. And the chips may fall from there. So, fact number three. Here's, here's the fourth truth, in fact. Difference makers recognize that their work is never complete. Difference makers recognize that their work is never complete. Look what the passage says. And Jesus got in the boat and left. Well, it doesn't give us a description of exactly where he went, I guarantee he didn't sail off into retirement. He didn't go cash in his RA and say, I'm just going to kind of lay on the beach for a couple of years. If you follow Jesus in Scripture, this is chapter 8, and go ahead and read chapter 9, chapter 10 on, he is going from ministry assignment to ministry assignment to ministry assignment. Jesus recognized that he wasn't checking off a box and doing a task when he became a difference maker. He was fulfilling a calling that God had placed on his life. It doesn't matter what your age or stage is in life. We never complete becoming and living out as a difference maker. It is who God made us. And just as Jesus never completed a task, you and I should never complete the task of being a difference maker. We may be a difference maker in a different arena. We may have a different audience now than we did 20 years ago. We may be towards the end of our difference making lifespan. But until we take our last breath of life, God has called every one of us to continue to be difference makers. Here's the fifth and last one. Difference makers. Difference makers understand that inviting others is a command and not a suggestion. Difference makers understand that inviting others is a command and not a suggestion. Let me take you back that passage at the very end of it, verse 38 and 39. And it says, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. 
Now understand this, when Jesus told him to go back to his family, he was really giving him an instruction to go back to his family to make a proclamation, but more than a proclamation, to give an invitation. Jesus wasn't sending him back to his family to say, hey, look at me, look how God has changed my life. Jesus cast the demons out. He saved my soul. I just want to give you a tidbit of information, and I'm on my way. The whole purpose of Jesus not allowing the man to go with him was to send him back. Why? So the man could become a difference maker. And you don't become a difference maker simply by giving information. You become a difference maker by allowing and giving out an invitation. That's the reason the last few weeks I've introduced this card, just as you're invited. And we're going to use this card. It doesn't end because the series done. This is an invite card that we're going to use throughout the year. And the easiest invitation that you can give about the proclamation of what Jesus has done in your life is simply inviting somebody to church with you because they're going to hear the story of Jesus. Now, I hope as a difference maker, you don't just invite and bring them here and let us do all the work. I hope you're a difference maker with your life as you live in the public and the communities that you're in. But what an easy, easy step in becoming aware, adjusting, and acting simply by inviting and that's exactly what the man did he went to his family jesus sent him to his family to proclaim and then invite but look what it's not just the family jesus said go to your family he says now go back to your family and tell them everything god has done for you so he went all throughout the town proclaiming the great things jesus had done for him it would have been so easy In fact, the man even requested Jesus to stay in this religious environment. Jesus, can I go hang with you? Can I hang with your disciples? Wouldn't that have been the richest spiritual life you could have led? I mean, just imagine walking with Jesus for the next several years of his life. Can you imagine just just oozing, getting the oozing spiritual knowledge from the disciples? It would have been great. But Jesus doesn't call us to hang out and stay in these religious environments. He said, no, you can't go. You need to go out into where religion is not. You need to go out where Jesus is not. And he says, proclaim to your family. But the man's proclamation went beyond the family, and it went to all the town. It was his proclamation that extended an invitation to what Jesus did in his life. You know, there's so many places that we can proclaim and even more so invite the last couple of weeks, I've tried to give you some tools that kind of kind of help spur and, and, and kind of urge you on. Two weeks ago, I gave you the, the little card that had the different route that you went on a day, and you could write different places so you could be more aware of who God might put in front of you. Last week, a card was handed out that had your neighborhood on there because that could be the most fertile place that you could be just the light. But unfortunately, so many times, we don't even know who our neighbors are because we pull in the, garage, in the driveway up in the garage, and we never come out. And so the card was just to at least get you to identify who your neighbors are. And so here's the tool that I give you today. You received as you walked in. It says, my focus. And it's simply a card that each of us has specific individuals in our lives that we know we need to be a difference maker in their lives. And you can just write their names on there. You can stick this in the Bible. You can stick it in the book you're reading as a bookmark. You can put it on your refrigerator. But it's simply a tool to say, God, make me aware of fill in the blank. Help me adjust my life to fill in the blank. And it's three specific people. In fact, I think this card and this card go hand in hand because these folks may be the easiest ones to invite because you know them the best. 
It's the ones that I'll pick you up and I'll take you to lunch type of invites versus here's a card, maybe one day I'll see you there. But the whole idea is for us to become inviters as we proclaim what God has done for us. And these are your specific people. You know, I told you we're in this series, The Difference Makers, and this is actually the last week of it. So if you've enjoyed it, great. If you haven't enjoyed it, I won't preach on it next week. But you will hear this term, Difference Makers, all year long. You will hear us talk about the invite card all along. Because I believe if we're a church living the way Jesus led us to live, we will always make difference making a part of our life, regardless of what the sermon series is about. We will always be aware. We will always be adjusting. We will always be acting so we can move our life and we can proclaim as we invite. And so, church, let's commit to be difference makers. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And it's only, God, by the power of your spirit that we can hear a story about pigs and Jesus and demon-possessed men, and you speak to us. And so, Father, I pray that, that we would be a church that understands and believes your word. But more than that, we would be a church that lives out your word. May we be proclaimers and inviters in the power and the name of Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.